0: Hello and welcome to Under the Covers, the podcast from Westminster Libraries. I'm Anne Carroll. With me today is the Rector of St. Paul's Church, Covent Garden, the Reverend Simon Grigg. St. Paul's has been connected with the acting world for close on 400 years hence its nickname, the Actors' Church. It even has its own theatre company, Iris, which stages performances inside the building and in the lovely gardens. But as Father Simon says, St. Paul's is, first and foremost, a parish church, open just about every day of the year to everyone, and is committed to embracing equality and diversity for all. Hello, Father Simon. Hello, Anne. So, do you have a bedside table groaning with books? Are you a reader? Oh, I'm terrible. My partner says that he's
1: going to bury me with a book because (laughs) I am I just... I mean, I've got about eight books that I haven't read and I went to Waterstones yesterday and I bought three more. Why? Reading is just such a huge part of my life and if I'm going on the tube even for more than sort of one stop, I will take my Kindle with me so I can read.
0: So any particular books on that table at the moment that you'd like to share with us? Well, I've just
1: finished, actually, Charles Moore's magisterial three-volume biography of Margaret Thatcher. I wasn't a huge fan of Lady Thatcher, but I think she's a genuinely interesting historical figure, obviously the first woman prime minister of this country, first woman leader of a major country, and in power for a very, very long time, and obviously a dramatic fall from power. So I think she's a fascinating character. And this biography is forensic in detail, but it's beautifully written and you can find you know whatever your views of politics or indeed of Mrs Thatcher it's just a fantastic read it's a long read because as I say it's three monumental doorstop volumes but it's it really is fascinating I'm a bit of a political geek
0: and when it's not politics so are there any other areas of literature that you enjoy
1: I'll read anything. I mean, there are very few things. I mean, unless it's about sport, which really I have no interest in at all. But but most subjects, you know, if it's well written, you can find interesting things. I'll even delve into science fiction. I read a wonderful book called The Martian by Andy Weir, which I, I thought was a great read. And Hollywood agreed with me because they made it into a rather terrific movie starring Matt Damon.
0: I've seen the film. I haven't read the book, but I saw the book described as sharp, funny and thrilling with just the right amount of geekery.
1: I <laughs> Yeah, there, there is a bit of geekery in it. You can tell he's really done his research. And and of course, it's science fiction. But it is actually quite plausible. It's actually quite believable. You can you can really believe. And obviously, the film with the special effects is very realistic. But the book is a terrific read. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. So definitely recommend that one.
0: Would you have a preference, the, the book over the film? Or, or are they equally good?
1: Oh, oh, gosh, they're equally good. I mean, I love the film, partly because I actually, some years ago, I actually got to know McDamon, who stars in movie and he's a terrifically nice person
0: how did you meet matt damon then
1: oh, yeah well quite you know how, how do you meet a superstar um, <laughs> it was, well it, it was bizarre so at the time we have Within St Paul's Church, uh, there's an organisation called Theatre Chaplaincy UK, and we seek to put chaplains into theatres, both in the West End and across the regions. The theatre industry, as many people will know, is is you know, a pretty precarious profession, and obviously recently the pandemic has, has been absolutely devastating for the industry, but even before that, is a pretty tough life, and we put chaplains in theatres, not to try to convert anyone to anything really, but as a pastoral support for people whose lives can be quite tricky and difficult. And I was, for many, many years, over 20 years, I was chaplain to the Garrick Theatre in Charing Cross Road in London. And we had a play on called This Is Our Youth, And it starred Matt Damon. And Matt was with it, I think, three months or something. And he was just such a nice guy. And I mean, so much so that one night he said, right, let's go to the pub after the show. And I said, well, that's obviously not going to happen. He said, well, why not? I said, because you're Matt Damon. And he said, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And he sort of put on a baseball cap and off we toddled to the pub. And it sounds a bit daft, but it's almost like he turned off the sort of star wattage thing that he gives off as, you know, major Hollywood star. And was just this bloke and he's a thoroughly nice man and there is no ego there's no hollywood star about him at all he's just a thoroughly nice man
0: that's a lovely anecdote and nobody came up to him in the pub at all
1: i mean i went to the bar and he was in a corner with the baseball cap on i did see one person kind of look a little bit puzzled but that
0: was it no it was completely fine how lovely so this love of reading did mm. it start early on was there a particular oh, yes. there was a book well, it's,
1: it's all down to my mum like like most good things in my life it was down to my mum i had the most wonderful mum. Every week, she would take us to the library and encourage us to choose two books kind of had to read two books a week not not because I was sort of made to but there were two books to be read so one read them and that started it really so you know I'm a passionate supporter of libraries because now I'm very fortunate and I can afford to buy books which I do at a rather alarming rate but for people who can't afford to buy books a library is absolutely a university a school an art centre a science Space, it's everything. And whatever else we cut, we must never, ever cut libraries.
0: Oh, thank you for saying that. So, in those childhood years was there a book that really...
1: <laughs> yes I'm afraid there were and, and at this point almost every actor of a certain age and above is going to groan because we all read the same book and that's what turned us into theatre mad people which is a book called the swish of the curtain uh-huh. and it's written by somebody called Pamela Brown if you ask any actor over about 40 45 they will say oh yeah swish of the curtain because we all read it fell in love with these group of, of children young people who basically founded their own theatre company and we all wanted to do the saying and we all got the theatre bug of course it's terribly dated now it was certainly still around when I was growing up and I absolutely loved it and read it time after time after time after time
0: she was about 14 wasn't she when she wrote it yeah I think that's right I think she was actually quite
1: young when she wrote it and of course if you read it now you could think oh gosh you know there are things that you wouldn't do but the overall effect was and not just for me but you know for hundreds of thousands of people was just she drew very very good characters that were really very believable this dream of a theatre becoming a reality. Well, it's fictional, but it felt real.
0: Did it have quite an inspiring effect on you, career-wise, then? Oh,
1: yes. I mean, I'd already sort of got the theatre bug anyway, again, thanks to my mother, because she was taking me to the theatre really as soon as I was old enough to sort of behave, you know, and she would take me to ballet and musicals and plays and everything. And so I was already kind of fairly obsessed with theatre. And then Swish the Curtain, and that was like red rag to a bull. And then, so after that, I was really pretty much doomed to become that terrible thing, a child actor, which I did. And so acted then for, for some years, actually. But uh, that's all a very, very long time ago.
0: Was it a tough life being a
1: child actor? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um... On one level, not at all, because I loved it. I mean, it was absolutely wonderful from the position of now. Of course I loved it. I mean, what's not to love? You know, are standing there making believe and, and people are applauding you and giving you money for it. I mean, what exactly is not
0: to like? You didn't miss your mum too much or, or did, you, did you go home at night? Oh, I could always go
1: home at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I did one tour that I was away for you know a month or so, but not, nothing very much, no. I mean, those amazing kids who do things like Matilda and Billy Elliot, I think they are away from home, sort of virtually in a sort of, well, I think they called it the Billy Elliot School, you know, because they all live together in a, in a house in London. That must be very tough, I would have thought, you know, but I think they look after them incredibly well.
0: You did go on to study theatre? I
1: did, yes. I went to the University of Warwick and studied theatre there. I did a BA and then an MA in theatre. And and that was more or less when I stopped acting because I got more and more interested in stage management and in directing. So I kind of did more of that. But again, talking about libraries, I mean, that first year at Warwick, the university library was right next to the arts building. And I I think I more more or less lived there. I mean, which makes me sound terribly sad. I mean, I did do other things as well, all the things you're supposed to do at university. But I mean, literally reading perhaps four or five plays a week for a year, you know, again, what's not to like? It was a wonderful time in my life, actually. I was immensely happy at university.
0: And when did the switch to the church come about? Was there a, a realisation,
1: a dawning? Dawning is better than realisation. I mean, it was very, very gradual, mostly during university. I mean, I do remember going to see the then chaplain at the university, he was a very nice man, and said, I've got this odd feeling about being called to the priesthood. He immediately went to his bookshelves and fished out what was then the sort of standard book on it. Anyway, I read the book, which absolutely horrified me, and so I sort of went back the following week sort of threw it on his desk and said under no circumstances will I do anything so horrible and he went okay that's fine about a year later I said those feelings they don't seem to go away and at that point basically said well you know you're not going to get away without doing this so that was kind of like oh
0: really but you've brought those two aspects of your life together at St Paul's.
1: That's been the great blessing that's why I've spent nearly half of my ministry here at St Paul's because of course it did in a sense put the two bits of my life back together again which had been somewhat sundered by getting ordained and so suddenly I was a priest I've got a parish church St Paul's as I always say first and foremost parish church but also the Actors church so I have all of that that goes with that and that can be sometimes a somewhat tricky balancing act to be brutally honest but it's also enormous amounts of fun and it plays to some of my strengths and it plays to certainly my interests. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, it has its dark moments, of course. Like any priestly life, you rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, you do weddings, you do baptisms, but you do funerals and you do memorial services. You weep with those who weep. That is the priestly
0: life. Mm-hmm. You've had many, many memorials at the church, haven't you? I've oh, years.
1: yes. You try to make them very personal, very... That is speak to you know the individuals you know if you do someone like Helen. McC- of course who died very very young and very tragically that will have a very different feeling although it did have quite a lot of joy and laughter in it then if you're doing somebody who's very old you know there, there will be a different feeling so you try to tailor that you try to listen very carefully to what the family want but also perhaps try to pour in some of the experience you've had of what works and doesn't work so well and and try and guide them so that it's something they are happy with and feel has done something to help them in their journey
0: it's a very beautiful church and it is practically 400 years old yeah. so it's a tourist spot but it's a parish church you have a homeless community in the area how do you manage to balance all that
1: well I have the most fantastic staff it's a very small staff for the a number of events we do and the number of sort of constituencies that we try to cater to and for the number of days we're open it really is a very very small staff indeed so they're all fantastic and they're also all very can do so nobody sort of says well I don't do that because I'm something Else, everyone will pitch in and help. But we've also undertaken a lot of restoration, partly to enhance the beauty of the building, which I think we've succeeded in, but also to give us greater flexibility to do some of the things that we want to be able to do.
0: And a theatre group?
1: Well, Iris. Iris came about 15 years ago because this then very fresh-faced young man called Dr. Daniel Winder sort of wandered into my church and said, can I put on murder in the cathedral in your church? And I went, yeah, all right then. And then he never went away really. And I said at the time, because obviously it was all very new, and I said, would it help if we got the Archbishop of Canterbury to come along? Because uh, the then Archbishop Rowan Williams is a great friend of mine. So he came along, he gave us some publicity, which helped the whole thing. And what started as a one-off Became our resident theatre company. I mean, it's a separate entity from the church, but they're residents of the church. And of course, they've had an absolutely horrendous two years because of the pandemic.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned the pandemic. Did you have very much a pastoral role in working with actors over that period?
1: Theatre went into something very like mourning. You know, you don't go into the theatre for the money or you do it because it's a vocation. You do it because you love it and you can't do anything else. And suddenly, the thing that you loved, you couldn't do anymore, be it front of house, backstage, or, or on stage. And suddenly, these people were literally bereft and so we had to kind of do as much as we could also of course it was an absolute financial catastrophe to the industry and everyone in it and everyone moved so fast we all got together the society of london theater all of the combined theatrical charities of which i think there are 14 of, of which we are one and we all got together and we said right what can we do and we really realized that what we needed was money so we kind of opened the coffers and big organizations like the royal theatrical fund and the access benevolent fund were, were just pouring money out to people who who, you know, couldn't afford to eat.
0: Mm-hmm. That does directly connect with what you mentioned before, the theatre chaplaincy.
1: Yes, and I, I believe yeah.
0: you're expanding that. Is that right?
1: Now, because theatres are reopening and people have recognised that the vulnerabilities of the industry, we put out a call for new chaplains, and we've had seventy applications, which is terrific. And we're reforming the board to get more professional expertise. So, so we're really, really trying to expand that because we feel the need is is very much there.
0: What exactly will the theatre chaplains do? Sometimes it's been described
1: as waiting in the wings. The industry as I say is quite tough even before the pandemic and often people have all sorts of vulnerabilities but it's it's difficult sometimes to talk to a company manager because you may not want to admit to problems because you know you may think well I won't get hired again. So sometimes to have an independent voice that's not trying to sell you anything even or even especially religion we're just here to help help and support can be you know a a bit of a lifeline and of course if people want to say a prayer we will pray for them if they want us to help find them an imam or a rabbi we can do that as well but we're really there as kind of listening in we're people who know the theatre so we know the technology and we know how it works and and so we know what we're talking about but we're not in the theatre so that we can have a bit of an angle on it.
0: I read a nice line where the group was being described and I think it went to the effect of Sundays aren't good mornings for actors?
1: No well of course the predecessor organisation to Theatre Chaplain was called the Actors Church Union. We changed the name because it didn't really reflect what we do anymore but it goes back over a hundred years and that was particularly the case. When most actors were out on tour, this is wonderful. private cars. So basically they would travel on a Sunday and in order to get to the next theatre by the Monday. So it was a very peripatetic life and quite a tough life. And one of the things that the old ACU, Actors Church Union used to do, was actually run a hostel for children because of course the children couldn't go on tour. Oh. And also, of course, it was virtually impossible for actors to go to church on a Sunday because they were travelling. So it was mm-hmm. kind of like this thought of these, these people back at the turn of the 20th century, sort of saying, well, hang on, if they can't come to church, church needs to go to them. And that's how it started, really.
0: What a lovely thought. St Paul's is also part of a network called Inclusive Church. I yes.
1: Believe. Um, yes, we're very much part of Inclusive Church, which is an organisation which works for Equality within the church. So we campaign, for example, for equal marriage within church people, within the church for people from LGBTQIA community, for the legalisation of gay marriage in church, and for an end to, frankly, the homophobia, which is in parts of the church. We're trying to work for the eradication of that.
0: And it's an idea of inclusivity for all, and that covers a very broad field doesn't it? Disabilities. It's
1: and it's tricky because some of the worst forms of discrimination are the ones you don't see. So, you know, it's sort of somebody coming to me and saying, well, actually, please don't say my brothers and sisters because I identify as non-binary. So I would no longer say brothers and sisters in Christ. I will just say friends in Christ because that's that's more inclusive. So, and, and again, that didn't come from me. That came from somebody who identifies as non-binary coming to me and saying that isn't helpful for me so it's kind of that sometimes it's the stuff you don't know that you need to be told and hopefully I'm trying to be somebody whose door is open to people saying no change that it's not right that
0: leads me to think it's a situation where people feel confident enough to go to you to people at St Paul's and to be able to express themselves
1: I truly hope you know, I mean, that's one of those things that, that you could never claim because you're bound to get it wrong sometimes. But that would be my hope and my prayer, that it is a place that can respond and change and, and feel good about change.
0: So in the midst of all this and everything that's being done at St Paul's, what is the best bit of it for you? What do you enjoy the most?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, it's a really difficult question. One of the things that frustrates me about it is... That we will do something really, really well, that we will be really pleased with, that everyone's pleased with, like be at a memorial service or a wedding or whatever. Almost any other church will go, Phew, that's great. We can really rest on our laurels. We can never do that because we're always immediately on to the next thing. So that's kind of a frustration. So the way we get around that is we actually have quite a lot of fun. We believe in having quite a lot of fun. And I think it's sometimes it's that our ability to laugh at really, frankly, some of the absurdities that go on, and we'll just shut the door and just you know have a laugh at what's been going on and and that I always enjoy because the staff are so supportive and, and we do have a good laugh but I think any priest will tell you really that it's coming together on a Sunday and sharing the Eucharist is that's why we do what we do so that is always at the heart of everything I do is the Eucharist because without that I believe there is no church it's that that makes possible the connection between humanity and God for me and so that has to be the heart of it.
0: Thank you so much. Now before we go, there's just a reminder of the books that Father Simon chose. There was the 3-volume authorized biography of Margaret Thatcher by Charles Moore and The Martian by Andy Weir. And I think we could add a honorable edition of The Swish of the Curtain by Pamela Brown, which was also mentioned. Finally, if you'd like to check out our library services, physical and online, you can go to www.westminster Dot gov dot UK forward slash libraries It's easy to sign up to our newsletter, which will drop into your email account every month. And we're also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And for online events, you can go to Eventbrite and search for Westminster Libraries and Archives. Thank you so much, Father Simon, for taking part today.
1: Thank you. I've really enjoyed it, and it's been a, a lovely trip down memory lane to remember the books, especially Swish of the Curtain. And I will literally go off to the study now. And- and find it and probably read it again
0: (laughs) oh that's fantastic so again my thanks to the reverend simon grigg of saint paul's church covent garden for taking part and to you for listening do join me again next month goodbye